but you have to recognize the ecosystem built around your customer. And to get access to that multiplier that I talked about, you get to know the people that sit around the table and influence. That's the one thing. It's understanding, again, with your customer as the basis or North Star of everything you do, just understand what the layers of the onion above around your customer are and make sure that you're building relationships. That when the right time of that multiplier comes in and they're looking for that right implementation or integration skill or technology skill, that you're going to be the one endorsed at that point. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Menzione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders in this forum to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Menzione. Welcome or welcome back to The Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I'm Vince Menzione, your host. And as we kick off the four-year anniversary of this podcast and leap into 2021, I'm thankful to all of the amazing thought and business leaders who've come to this podcast to share principles, success strategies, and best practices that help technology organizations thrive during this age of change and transformation. As we kick off this new year, I'm excited to be joined for this special series by some of those industry thought leaders to help each of us better prepare for what we can do to optimize success in 2021. For this episode of the series, it was great to welcome back Jay McBain, Principal Analyst, Channels, Partnerships, and Ecosystems at Forrester. Jay was an early guest when I revived this podcast this summer and he shared his perspective on what he was seeing mid-year. And so I found it very appropriate to have him back to help share his perspective on what he is seeing going into 2021. Jay always has a unique view based on his bird's eye seat, working with vendors, organizations, and partners. His command of the numbers driving the channel is like no other. In this interview, he shares his perspective and observations and where organizations need to focus to optimize success in 2021. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed my time with Jay McBain. Jay, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to have you back as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You were one of my very first new guests coming back to the podcast this summer, and I'm excited to have you back to discuss the state of the channel as we kick off this new year, 2021. Well, I guess I didn't screw up if you're asking me back. So uh, <laughs> we're already off on the right foot. Yeah, I believe we are. We are. And you know, we had a really interesting conversation about some of the predictions that you had made at the beginning of 2020. And certainly we were in the, in the midst of a year like no other. But I'd like to kind of back up a little bit here. And for our listeners who maybe didn't listen to that episode this summer, could you share with us a little bit about yourself your role at Forrester, and your background. Yeah, absolutely. I've been around the channel for 26 years. I've worked for big companies like IBM and Lenovo running channels. Uh, I've worked in the managed services space. Uh, I was a founder, co-founder, and CEO of a channel software company for seven years. And then for the last three years, I've been an industry analyst, You know, counting up things and, and looking at things and trying to consume as much as I can to make sense of everything that's going on. 
You know, and for many, you have become the eyes and ears of the channel. And certainly for me, when I was sitting in a channel chief role, I looked to you to get some perspective on what was happening. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your perspective on the last six months since we last spoke? Well, that's interesting. I mean, we were talking about a lot of things back then. You know, we were talking about ecosystems, you know, which are 10 times larger than your transactional channels. You know, we were talking about this growth of marketplaces. We were talking about this trifurcated channel and how to run programs differently. We started to talk about subscription and consumption models. And, you know, one of the key things that came out of last year is actually Accenture research that said 76% of CEOs today in every industry, in every geography, 76% of them think their current business model will be unrecognizable in five years. And ecosystems are the number one reason why. That's astounding. So you think about these business model changes. And right from the time we talked in July, about a week later, Chuck Robbins from Cisco came and said, because of COVID, Cisco would become a 100% consumption subscription model. And then about two weeks after that, Michael Dell stood up and said the $93 billion Dell Technologies with all seven companies, VMware, EMC, would all become 100% subscription consumption model. Again, accelerate because of COVID. You know, a few weeks after that, IBM jettisoned its services organization, which, you know, was built through Lou Gerstner in the 1990s and has 450,000 people in it. And now IBM, after this new co splits off, becomes a 100% subscription consumption-based business with Red Hat and Watson and, and kind of this new emerging tech future. So if you count up those four companies, and HPE, who's been on this journey for a while, came out and said that they're going to actually be finished a year from now. So going into 2022, HPE will be 100% subscription. So if I take those four companies and look backwards in the client server era, that made up about 80% of the client server era. And so this is just a phenomenal change that partners are going through and are going to go through as these changes are made. You know, this has always been, or since the inception of cloud and subscription, this has been a hard pivot for a lot of organizations, essentially from a financial perspective, right? You had a book of business, predictable, and then moving to subscription was often hard, especially for public companies. Why do you think the pivot is happening so hard now? Does it have a lot to do with maybe a better understanding of we're living in a crisis time, we're living in a time like no other, and maybe the street is a, is a little bit more accepting of the pivot? Yeah, it's part of it, but uh, we did a big piece of research late last year at Forrester, uh, which we called the future of buying. And I'll save you a thousand or your, uh, your audience a thousand pages of reading. The conclusion was the future business buyer, the future buyer of technology will look a lot like a consumer. The way you buy a car will be the way you buy you know, software, hardware, and services in the future. So the consumerization of the buying journey, you know, we talk about that digital journey up front. We talk about getting to vendor selection without ever talking to a salesperson. All the things that you do personally when you buy a car, for example, now become the same psychology, behavior, and journey you have in your professional life. And so the changes that are being brought, you know, given that and how consumers are going to consume. And these 30-day renewals, the, the, this idea of everything in your life becomes this you know, Netflix model. Your shavers come every month you know, just as a consumption. And you, know, you pay a couple of dollars over to Dollar Shave Club. Your 
groceries, your everything. One third of the U.S. economy is now in this e-commerce marketplace world and soon to be a consumption model. And this is what's changing everything in B2B and B2C and everything collapses together. And I think these big companies are realizing that and pushing the envelope. But for a partner, it's a completely different financial model. You know, you remember back to the early days of Office 365. And instead of, you know, selling a $300 packaged piece of solution with some maintenance and other things, now you're selling something for $6. And I don't care if you're making 20, 30, 40, 50% of margin, you're not going to pay the mortgage on six bucks. So the conversation completely switched back then. And for every company and all the SaaS companies, the 175,000 SaaS companies we have today and the emerging tech companies, you know, this conversation is a different one. So partners are starting to ask different questions. And this is a big change in the last six months is what I call the multiplier effect. They're asking vendors different questions. And it's not about how much margin on the front end and what the volume rebates and the market development funds and the uh, new customer bonuses and the stuff on the back end. All that doesn't matter because the transaction now is the first 30 days with the customer. What they're asking for is what is the economic value or the ecosystem value that you generate as a vendor? Salesforce will come and tell you it's $4.65. You know, a few weeks ago, Google Cloud came out and said theirs is $5.32, going up to $7.80. If you go to the Google and Google Microsoft space TEI, which is a Forrester product, but you'll see, you know, every one of their divisions and you'll see as a partner how much I can make doing the installation, implementation, integration, security, compliance, business continuity, data, all the downstream work. And that becomes the financial equation is how much multiplier can I make? How much amplification can I make? If I work with a vendor and they sell a dollar, how can I go sell $2 for 75% margin? That's the big change we've seen since July. Yeah. And this is a this is not a new conversation. We started having this conversation at Microsoft with the channel very early on. I would say I remember conversations six or seven years ago, maybe even longer and it was all about this, you're going to make money differently. You're not going to worry about transaction revenue, margins, rebates. You're going to find ways to be on the front end with the client in terms of consulting services, and then the back end implementation, ongoing support and the like. And that, that model is very rich, but organizations really need to pivot hard. Those partners need to pivot hard to their uh, business model to support that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I worked along with Microsoft for most of my career, you know, selling PCs, for example, and we worked together as hard as possible to hide the total cost of ownership because it was a really bad scenario during client server. Yep. The whole managed services industry was born out of the really bad financial equation for customers in client server, you know, topology. So what we did in our best marketing is we tried to avoid the conversation. All the you know, focus was on the price of the product and the you know, initial procurement of it, you know, the resell. And we tried to avoid ever having this conversation of you know, what, what, what does the help desk and the install move ad changes and what are the long-term effects of that type of environment? And now it's completely turned over with multi-cloud, hybrid cloud. Companies are bragging about it. You know, why would Google Cloud come out and say it's $5.32 to a customer? It's... You know, if I'm looking at spending $100,000 with Google, I, I better have $532,000 in the bank to get it to work. Yeah, really but good point there. system, 
this is the conversation that we're now having. And I think it's good to have, and customers are a part of that because in many cases, this is another change in the last six months, you know, customers are very much becoming your partners and your partners are very much becoming your customers. We're living in an embedded world, a white labeled world where there are no SKUs anymore. There are no products as distribution would skew them up. We're living in a layered world of technology building blocks of where customers are now becoming tech companies themselves and coming to market themselves, you know, to survive. Part of that 76% that I, that I mentioned going to ecosystem, the net result is every company in every industry is becoming a tech company. And every one of your customers as a vendor is also becoming one of your partners. And that's a part of your ecosystem. And you mentioned the building blocks. I mean, I just recently had Bob Moore on the podcast to talk about Crossbeam, but we were discussing the fact that, yeah, you're buying best of breed. You're stitching together these building blocks, if you will, for a whole solution. It's pretty arrogant to think from a SaaS software provider perspective that the customer is only buying my solution, right? Absolutely. And, and Bob's a great example where, you know, Crossbeam is solving a really large problem in ecosystems. This escrow model of sharing data is critical because even your best of partners, you go back a decade, two decades, even your best partners were a little hesitant from sharing their sales data with a vendor because of the worry of it going direct or something happening. And now you go to an ecosystem where the relationships are you know, not as tight and it's more celestial. Things are moving around. There's a big problem that you know, no one's going to share data you know, because you're not contractually and the NDAs aren't signed perhaps to the level they need to be. And he presents a really good solution there. I introduced Crossbeam, for example, into a new category of the tech stack last year. And I just threw everybody into this bubble I called ecosystem management. Well, one of the big changes in the last six months is ecosystem management now has six categories. And when I start to look at these companies, because I'm looking at adding 25 more companies into ecosystem management, and there's attribution companies, there's account mapping companies like Crossbeam, there's ecosystem management companies, almost like look like PRM companies like Zift and Zinfi and Impartner and Salesforce. There are enablement collaboration companies. There's API technology integration companies. And then there's ecosystem recruitment type companies. So, you know, there's six new categories that didn't exist even eight, even two months ago. So this is rapidly evolving. And when I do my 2021 tech stack, you know, there's so much more known about ecosystems now to align to those 76% of companies who need to deploy this technology to make their own company work and to survive this second stage of the pandemic. When are you going to publish that report? Just where it's actually a ton of work, as you can imagine, you know, getting all the data behind, because I actually published the size of the industry as well. And last year, uh, companies spent $93 million on ecosystem technology like Crossbeam. Well, you know, this year, the numbers are going to be higher. And uh, I have to look from a grassroots level what every single company in the category is doing, and then roll that up into a target addressable market size, and then roll that up into an opportunity size. So it's not just putting logos on a page. It's actually building out what that actual market is. And, you know, for Bob, who went and raised a whole whack of money, I work a lot with Wall Street to kind of figure out where the next decade is going, because uh, they obviously want to get in early and they want to get behind companies like Crossbeam, who they think could sell to 76% of companies on the planet, who, and, which will make them a billion dollar unicorn. Yep. 
So let's peel back a little bit on this too, on this consumerization piece. Like what is the client journey going to look like now? Or what is it looking like now, like buying a car from a technology perspective? Because I, I want to help our partner ecosystem better understand where they need to pivot. Absolutely. So if you look back and I use buying a car uh, on purpose because most of us have done that. And if you could trace back to the last time you did it, it's a big purchase. So you kind of, you remember it. You remember when you set foot on that dealership and how poor that experience was. But, you know, the time you need a car, you know, that that moment in time where your old one breaks down or it doesn't have that new car smell anymore. I mean, there's a point in time where you turn psychologically to the point where you have a need. The every moment in time after that, I'm obsessed over. You know, you go to a couple of magazines and you read, there's 365 kinds of cars, one for every day of the year. Not sure if you knew that. I did not. You quickly in your head have to start narrowing things down. You know, do I want a Jeep? Do I want an SUV? Do I want a sports car? Do I want electric? I mean, you got to start like narrowing things down because you're not going to go and, you know, do a battle card with 365 different brands. No, absolutely not. You're going to get it down into a zone where there's a short list and you're going to be bouncing across YouTube and magazines and social media. You're going to go ask your neighbor, your friends. You're going to consume a ton of information. But the one thing that happens is when you step foot on that dealership and you've got to either narrow down to the one car you want or you know, very, very tight in terms of a short list. Uh, at that point, you know more about the car. You've already configured it. You've already priced it. You know more about the engine than that salesperson ever will. But they're still stuck you know, from decades ago. And they'll sit you there for eight hours trying to get you a deal in air quotes from the manager and go back and forth and try to make you hungry. And, you know, they, they do all this old school stuff and you kind of roll your eyes and go, I already know what I'm paying for this car within a hundred dollars. I know your invoice price. I know your back end rebates. I, you know, I kind of know what, what's going on here. And I'd probably pay a hundred dollars more if you just deliver it to my driveway and hand me the keys, kind of like the Carvana approach, but for new cars, like just, I don't want to sit for eight hours and go through this mess because I already know how it's going to end up. So that's the new style. So if I, switch out cars for a second and switch in technology, buyers are doing the same thing. Each of these moments, they're consuming information. They're talking to neighbors and friends. They're, they're going to peer groups. They're going to social groups. They're, they're going to YouTube. I mean, they're doing all the things digitally. They're not talking to salespeople in a majority of cases, and they're not filling out web forms with correct information. So what's happening now is vendors are losing deals and partners are losing deals without ever knowing there was a deal. There is no lead registration or deal registration because nobody's picking it up. The fact of the matter is that customer now, there's about you know 80% of them that prefer this digital journey and a digital only journey. I think it's 68% want a digital only journey. And now we're over 50% of them that get to vendor selection after a digital only journey. So the days of MQLs and SQLs and managing your CRM system it's going to be hidden from there because that customer never left a breadcrumb that you're going to recognize. And now with Apple and other companies protecting your privacy, you're tracking on the internet and you know being able to do this anonymously, you know even all those marketing tools you may have had in the past that pick up these little signals are going to work less than they did in the past. So, you know, your job is to figure out this digital journey and what we now know is that on average that customer is going to use five different sources or five people or five companies on average to get from, I have a problem to vendor selection. These influencers, these five virtual chairs around the table is what vendors need to get obsessed over. And these five chairs 
are random at best. You know, it could be a system integrator there. It could be an MSP that earns one of those chairs. It could be an accountant, a digital agency. It could be a consultant, an aggregator, a broker. It could be, it definitely will be probably an ISV or two. It could be an emerging tech company. I mean, there's every company in every industry is becoming a tech company. It could be anybody sitting in those five chairs that made the podcast, that did the ebook, that, you know, is participating in a peer group. However, they're interacting. They're the influential ones that are going to get them from a problem to actually getting a set of keys. And that's what, if you get obsessed over that, it changes everything. You've got to start shifting your program dollars to the left earlier in the journey. You've got to start doing attribution, which is a consumer term. You know, when you hire Kim Kardashian to do an Instagram ad for a million dollars, you kind of want to know that it was worth the money. Well, around these five people wrapped around that potential customer, you want to know who's earning those five seats. And then you want to know who's the most influential early in those journey, because they're not the ones that are going to actually do the transaction. So there's no quantitative way of matching who is influential to who's going to collect the money. So it's a little bit of science, a little bit of art and science here in terms of connecting dots to all of those early permutations. But this is part of ecosystem technology now, is getting better at predicting and participating and influencing the influencer early in that customer journey is everything now to winning the deal. I love the analogy of the car, by the way. I, I purchased a Jeep about a year ago and had You're the same experience. Yeah, I'm a Jeep guy. I've also been a BMW guy, but we'll go there another time. But I do see this, like, rather than hire, what I'm getting from this conversation, rather than hire that fast-talking SaaS software salesperson, you need to invest in your channel ecosystems, including your influencer ecosystem. But then how, how do you then attribute back? Like, I have all these influencers, maybe. The Kim Kardashians of the technology space, if you will. Yep. How do I? How do? How do they make money? How do I attribute it back? Like, are there systems and tools that support that process? Well, there is. So when I talked about that multiplier number, they are participating in that four dollars and sixty-five cents, or the five dollars and thirty-two cents. There's a high likelihood that they're charging the customer for their value in some way or another. They're converting that ebook into membership. They're converting. You know, maybe they do end up with the transaction, but probably not. But downstream, every 30 days forever, they could be there delivering services to drive adoption, number one. They could be doing integration work, making it more sticky for you, which will earn more money. They could be doing upsell and cross-sell to enrich that deal or that contract with a broader set of your portfolio. There's a lot of things they can do inside that $5 multiplier that may, you may not be paying for directly, but they might be charging the customer for. But in the future, you are going to be paying for those behaviors. You know, I want to pay for somebody, one, two, three of those people around the table to get the deal to be mine. And I'll shift money from my sales and marketing to do that. And then long-term, every 30 days forever, the customer journey now never ends. The people that I can attribute that are driving better adoption, which means better retention and renewals for my product, better lifetime value, I'm going to shift program, channel program dollars to the right. And every 30 days, I'm going to be looking to spend money for those people that are doing those three things, adoption, integrations, and stickiness, and then uh, upsell process. That's where I'm going. Because the resale, by the way, the whole transaction in a subscription world is the first 30 days with the customer. Yep. And- you know, that's important. you got to obviously get the transaction done, but it shares importance. Now, that's the trifurcated model. 
It is equally important to get in early and often. It is equally important to get the transaction. And now it's equally important to get that 30-day retention renewal to get a customer for life. So where I spent a dollar on a gold, silver, bronze program getting the deal, I'm going to now spend 33 cents. I'm going to shift 33 cents over to the left in the customer journey. And now I'm going to shift 33 cents over to the right. And so I'm going to spread my programs like peanut butter. And this was another big change that we saw since July. Major companies, and I could probably list off a dozen of them, like Oracles and SAPs and IBMs, that now have this language around build, sell, and service. By the way, that's much easier to understand than trifurcated. Let it be known that that's their attempt at spreading their program dollars like peanut butter to understand the importance of technology integrations on the build side, the service side, and and how they're going to start shifting money away from volume rebates into renewals. And so as a partner, you've got to pick that up quickly and understand in your own financial model how you collect these dollars and collect more dollars programmatically than you did in the past. And at the same time, start to get obsessed on that multiplier where I can go make $2 for every $1 my vendor makes. As long as I have the right sales and marketing and messaging, as long as I have the right engineering, technical talent, skills and resources and and, uh, practices built to go do that. That's the future of the channel right there. So it's building out your capabilities, going deeper with your customers. Is that what I'm hearing? It's building out your capabilities to the multiplier of the vendors that you work with. And I know that a customer that buys X is going to spend $5 more to get it to work. I need to participate in that $5 and I need to make sure that I've got, you know, very specific in terms of I'm in the right room at the right time, delivering the right services and charging the customer the right amount of money to take advantage. So every $100,000 Google Cloud deal in my town, in my city, in my industry, wherever I focus, I should be looking and I should be all over that deal trying to go win $200,000 of my own at 75% margin. If your company's not thinking that way, it's going to be a struggle in a pure subscription consumption ecosystem type of world where we're going to in the next three to five years. Yeah. So that's really good advice. In fact, we've, you know, I've had Tony Savoy and the CEO of SADA Systems on this podcast. I've been on his podcast as well. And I think it, I'm looking at it and going, okay, that was easy because when you're early on with the hyperscaler or the large partner, the vendor, it's probably easier to do it. What about the organizations that have an old model? Like how do you help them pivot hard in 2021? I think it's it, it might be a pivot light. You know, I never subscribe to the magazine front cover, you know, you're going out of business. Nobody's going out of business. Well, given COVID, there are. But with $3.5 trillion in this marketplace, in, in um, the global technology industry, and 64% of it delivered through the channel, nothing changes overnight. And I think it was Bill Gates who said that, you know, we overestimate what's going to happen in two years and we underestimate what's going to happen in 10. Yep. So in the next two years, you're not going out of business. You're, you're, you know, you're not going to face significant headwinds. But if you don't start to make these changes, you'll look back in 10 years and go, I should have saw this coming. I mean, it's just so obvious that, you know, this is where we're going to end up. So I always say that, you know, you've got to start layering this in. This is not a pivot. This is not a transformation, like a going out of business transformation. But if you're not thinking about this and getting obsessed about the right things at the right time, this early customer journey, 
this cut, this vendor multiplier. You know, if you're not watching these things right now, I don't know anyone who would have a strong debate or argument otherwise that somehow we're going to flip back into a strong resale model. We're going to flip back to where we were in the 80s and 90s. I don't think anybody who knows anybody who is thinking about that right now. So we've talked about this transformation happening fast these last several months, right? We've talked about the acceleration. Satis used the term, you know, the equivalent of a year and a month type of scenario or analogy. What do you see now? Is the acceleration still continuing at the same pace or is it slowing down? No, I think it's going faster. Faster. When I started rhyming off all these announcements, you know, not only in our political world and social unrest and with the pandemic, I mean, we wake up every morning, you know, like Captain Jean-Luc Picard and, you know, we ask for a damage report. And, you know, with the early January, you know, in U.S. politics, for example, we wake up in the morning asking for damage report. So in our industry, we do the same thing. You know, there are major announcements. There are major, you know, things that are happening almost on a daily basis as you're scanning the 54 magazines out in our industry that report on this stuff. I'm subscribed to all 54 around the world. So in India, in Australia, I get the news faster than I get it in, you know, the US when I wake up. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we are in a constant state of shift here. There is a lot of moving parts and in the ecosystem, it's celestial. We're moving out of this linear model that, you know, is somewhat predictable supply chain like, you know, left and right. In a celestial model, everything is moving in its own direction and you don't control it. You know, you may be a big sun, like a Microsoft maybe or an AWS or a Google, but you're just, you know, in a galaxy, part of a larger universe of things happening. So as a company, whether you're a partner, whether you're a vendor, you just have to get really good at understanding, predicting when the stars and moons are going to align and knowing what you're going to do before they align and when they align in front of that customer. So, you know, you you can always talk about change as being constant. You can always talk about things accelerating and things like that. But I go to some core tenets or tent poles, as as you mentioned, and, and knowing some of these key parts of the future. You know, how am I going to participate and succeed in an ecosystem? How am I going to participate and succeed in you know, a subscription consumption model. You know, knowing in 2021, 17% of the tech industry is going to go through marketplaces, whether as a vendor or a partner, how am I going to go succeed on the 20 top marketplaces in the tech industry that drive 80% of the volume there? It's not single digits anymore. That was a change because of COVID. You know, 17% makes it material and meaningful that if I'm not participating there, and that 17 is going to go to 27 and maybe 37 over the next you know, number of years. So you've got to figure out wherever you are in this solar system, out celestial, how you're going to participate and win in these new environments. You're not going to stop this from happening. You're not going to uh, shift it from happening, but you can definitely get in early and become one of those early winners. Get on page one of the marketplace, like you try to get on page one of Google. Get you know inside that marketplace as they start adding partners to it. So that you're an early winner, you're an early person picking up good referrals and, and things like that. So you're looking ahead at these changes and, uh, you know, getting on that early adopter, early part of the, you know, baseball game. So I was going to ask you what some of the best partners are doing, what the, some of the best organizations are doing. And what, what it sounds like here, and I want, I want you to validate this, is I now have to be super committed 
to my partner ecosystem. I can't have one foot in and one foot out. It's almost as if I my Salesforce almost becomes secondary because you're you're talking about a lot of different bets, right? I've got 17 marketplaces. I've got partner ecosystems, influencer ecosystems I need to support, maybe distribution as well. Like I'm covering a lot of bases. What do you see some of the best partners or best organizations do? Well, the best organizations we see, and I get to see about 10,000 of them. So I get to see it at scale, the good, the bad, the ugly. The best organizations, bar none, are the ones that hold the customer as the basis for everything they do. It's the North Star of everything they do. And so if you look at your customer and look at their preferences, you know, it could be a route to market preference. It could be a buying preference. It could be a journey preference. Whatever it is, that's what guides you. By the way, if your customer in their industry, in their geography, in their scenario are not buying through marketplaces, that's what guides you. Mm. But the fact of the matter is we think that they are going to be, you know, doing that. So it's something you need to start considering. But if you imagine for a second up on your wall, look at a heat map. And we know today that, you know, line of business buyers are more buying more technology today than IT buyers. 65% of SaaS, for example, is bought by line of business. So the head of marketing, the head of sales, operations, finance, HR, there are partners that are dedicated to the buyer. Like a digital agency is dedicated to the head of marketing, who in many companies spends more on tech than the CIO. Secondly, we know it's not industries anymore. It's sub-industries. There's 297 sub-industries. It's not about healthcare anymore. It's about a mid-sized clinic with 50 doctors. It's, you know, different than a small dentist office, different than a small hospital, you know, very specific to that sub-industry. We know geographically if that mid-sized clinic is in upstate New York versus Toronto versus London versus Dubai, very different legislation, regulation, compliance. So partners are dug in at a geographic level as well. Number four, they're dug in at a sector segment and size. You know, I made specific reference to 50 doctors. It changes as that goes up or down. So the size of customer, SMB versus mid-market versus enterprise, brings in a whole different channel. And then products. You know, we used to look at hardware, software, and services back in the day. Well, today we have 26 categories with 200 subcategories. You know, you can't have a security conversation without going into the seven layers of security and then the 17 layers below that. So when you multiply all five of those vectors together, there's 35 million parts of your heat map. And even the biggest vendors don't cover the entire heat map. So you've got to understand where you're going as an organization and where you're going to hyper-specialize and start to understand the ecosystem. It becomes, at that point, the law of a few, if you follow Malcolm Gladwell. You know, any one of those points of the heat map, you know, if I'm going after mid-sized clinics in upstate New York, I could quickly, within probably this afternoon, get you the top 100 people that are sitting on those associations, that are in the magazines, that are running and keynoting the events, that are recording this podcast. Like, who's the Vince of upstate New York mid-sized clinics? I could get you that list of 100 people, and as an organization, whether I'm a partner or a vendor, I want to check off, number one, do those people know who I am? Can they pull me out of a police lineup? Number two, do they know enough to be dangerous? In a hotel lobby bar, in a you know part of their podcast, would there be a place where they can differentiate what I do and actually you know, speak at least with a 30-second elevator pitch you know, kind of knowledge of what I do? And then most importantly, number three, would they endorse me? They're out there influencing. They're probably going to earn one of those five spots around the table with every mid-sized clinic. And if they don't earn one of those five spots, they're going to heavily influence the people that do. So I'm going to influence the influencer. And if I can pick up, you know, 20 or 30 of those top 100 people out there talking nice about me in front of customers and in front of the industry itself, 
I'm going to be all things to all people up in upstate New York in front of mid-sized clinics. And again, this is a project that we ran over the course of an afternoon to model out what we need to do in all of 2021 against that mission. So that's, that's quite a bit of material to cover there. Five sets of attributes. If there's one thing I can do this coming year, this year, 2021, differently or better, what should I do? If there's one thing, you know, as a partner, we used to always say, you know, look in the guest book, you know, when you go and visit a client, you can't do that anymore with the pandemic, but you can look at their virtual guest book. The fact of the matter is every single company in every industry is becoming a tech company. So every accountant that's signing into your customer, every digital agency, every consultant, everybody that's coming in is having probably a technology conversation. There's over a 50% chance that they're having a technology conversation. You don't have to take over that conversation, but you have to recognize the ecosystem built around your customer. And to get access to that multiplier that I talked about, you get to know the people that sit around the table and influence. That's the one thing. It's understanding, again, with your customer as the basis or North Star of everything you do, just understand what the layers of the onion above around your customer are and make sure that you're building relationships. That when the right time of that multiplier comes in and they're looking for that right implementation or integration skill or technology skill, that you're going to be the one endorsed at that point. Nobody's going to own all $5, but you can get your fair share by knowing around your customer who that is. And for vendors, it's just an extension of that. Your partners that wrap around your customer from all different angles and your ability to understand who influences the influence, influencers is going to be the one that wins. The community model that goes in and executes at a different level of scale. I love that advice. That is such, I will say, perfect advice for our listeners coming into this new year. Thank you very much for that, Jay. Absolutely. I I want to shift a little bit here. Uh, we're getting towards the end of our interview, but I do want to ask you, this has been an overwhelming year for so many of us. What are you doing in 2021 for your own, I'll call it mental health or mindfulness? Yeah, for, for me personally, uh, I'm a Canadian, so by law, we have to play hockey. Um, I've played a couple of times a week for my entire life, probably for 45 years now. And I had to give that up. Uh, my wife is high risk. Uh, she had heart surgery a couple of years ago. So we've had to take this very, very seriously. And so that meant no more hockey and, you know, kind of no more, you know, leaving the house in any kind of crowded environment. So I actually jumped on my bike, my road bike, you know, started logging some miles to stay in shape and things. And as I started doing it, I started getting consistent and I started, you know, going on 50 mile rides, you know, every Sunday. And by the end of the year, I set myself a goal and uh, I used to live in Canada so I set a goal to ride from Miami to Canada, Toronto, the equivalent mileage of, which is like 1,149 miles. And so I worked at it every week. And then right around Christmas, I announced that I made it. So, you know, by doing this consistently and now in 2021, again, I can't go play hockey until we get the vaccine. So again, I'm still doing it. And now I move into Winnipeg, which I worked with IBM for a little while in Winnipeg. I worked, I grew up in Calgary. My parents are, you know, my mom and my sister are in Vancouver. So I'm moving across the country. And by the, you know, one year anniversary of kind of the lockdown and stop playing hockey, I want to ride the 2,500 miles to Vancouver. And that'll be kind of a personal goal of mine. Wow. That's amazing. And we're both in South Florida, right? So I get to see your, your posts about your, I don't ride as far as you do. I just do it more for leisure and a little bit of Peloton in between, but yeah. I love that you're doing. podcast, by the way. So, you know, everybody listens to podcasts differently. 
I have my Vince podcast queued up in my podcaster. And when I'm out on the bike for three hours, I get to rip through, you know, four or five podcasts. So it's my area where, you know, I can kind of let loose. I listen to music for a while, but then I, you know, listen to Malcolm Gladwell for a while. I listen to some industry podcasts for a while. It's actually an area where I can decompress. I do very much the same thing. I have my audible books. I have the podcasts. I have a little bit of music. And I am so much in agreement with you that this is why I believe podcasts are so important to us now. Like we're on that screen like 12 hours a day. I'm tired of looking at my monitor. Yeah. And my eyes are tired of looking at my monitor. Yeah. So I have one more question for you. And this, you have been amazing today, by the way. I just love having you on to talk to our listeners about all of these things around the ecosystem. Your, your viewpoint is just incredible. But you were having a dinner party when, you know, when we can do this and be feeling that we're safe doing this. And you can invite any three guests present or the past to attend this dinner party. Who would you invite and why? Oh, wow. So I'm going to go with the past and I'm going to have a dead dinner party. I would invite John Candy, Chris Farley, and Robin Williams. Wow. I think that would be the funniest dinner party and you'd be in stitches and lying on the floor laughing the whole entire night. That would be an amazing dinner party. You got a couple Canadians in there too, right? Well, that's uh, by law. I have to. <laughs> I have to have at least two. <laughs> I'd love to be uh, listening in on that dinner party for sure. Uh, three amazing human beings. And uh, that brought a lot of light to this world. And regretfully, they're not, no longer here with us. Well, Jay, thank you so much. Any closing comments or advice for our listeners? No, I think it's, uh, you know, we've got to take care of our, our, our families and, and our friends and our businesses. Again, you know, with so many things happening in the, in the world and, you know, I don't make light of social unrest and the pandemonium that we have in different parts of the world. And obviously the pandemic into a very second and serious phase and, you know, everything else from murder hornets and everything else that, you know, are, are around. I, you know, th this is a, a time that we'll always remember. And this is a time that, you know, history books, you know, decades from now and even a hundred years from now will be written about. So it's all about family and, and friends and, and health and, you know, coming together. And, you know, that's how we're going to be measured is our impact on others. Our business results and other things, you know, will be interesting at the time. But, uh, you know, at the end of time, we're, we're going to remember who had our back and, and who made an impact. I am in so violent agreement with you on this same topic. Jay, thank you so much for joining the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. All right. Thank you. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzione on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page, or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships. Get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.